Let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew 21, Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. You know, we had a wedding this past week, and then we are having another wedding uh, from our church this night. And time like this reminds me of the day when my daughter will bring to me and Lily uh, her future husband. So let's imagine that you have a daughter. I know some of you don't have a daughter, but let's imagine that you have a daughter who's grown up, and she tells you, Mom and Dad, I have a boyfriend who's really awesome, and he wants to meet both of you. So let's meet on Friday night at 7 p.m. at the best restaurant in town. He booked a table for us, so we will enjoy our time together. So you're there on Friday night at 7, a little early than, earlier than 7, and then you begin to talk to your daughter about this guy who's coming. And then she says, oh, he's the sweetest man in town. He always tells me he loves me, and he promises a lot of things. And he said, you know, whatever you want to do, once we get married, I'll let you do. And I'll support you in any way. But as time goes by, the time passed seven, ten minutes passed, and twenty minutes passed. Now you look a nervous feeling in your daughter's face. And now she picks up her phone and goes out to check on him. And then soon after that, she came back, she comes back and said, Oh, mom and dad, I'm so sorry. He cannot make it tonight. And you ask why? Well, he's gone on a fishing fishing trip with his friends this weekend. I'm sorry. And now you have to ask real questions. What's going on? I mean, he he booked the table for us. Why is not here? Why is he with his friends? And then now your daughter begins to say, "Well, you know, he's a good boy. He's a sweet man, but sometimes he doesn't keep his promises." What would you tell your daughter? She wants to marry him. What's going to be your advice for him? Unfortunately, so many Christians treat God like this boyfriend is treating your daughter. This is our problem. Too often, we obey God with words only. We tell God, Lord, we will do these things for you. And then whatever you tell us to do, we will do it. Yet we really don't do them in action. So let's read it, read today's text to learn what God thinks about such an attitude. Matthew 21 verses 28 through 32. Here Jesus is speaking to the chief priest and elders of Judaism according to the verse 23, which is above Today's text, verse 28. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second. The father came to the second son and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain, which of the two, did the will of his father? They say unto him, the first. Jesus says unto them, Verily, truly I say to you, 
that the publicans, tax collectors, and the prostitutes go, will go into the kingdom of God before you who are religious leaders of Judaism. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not, but the publicans and the harlots, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, believed in John. And you, and when you had seen it, repented not afterward, that you might believe him. And so tonight's message's main point is this. True faith always brings the act of obedience. True faith always brings the act of obedience. In other words, without the act of obedience, our profession of faith becomes meaningless. So point number one, obedience is an action, not a word. What is obedience? Simply put, it is doing what we are told to do. What did the father in the parable command his two sons? Verse 28, the father said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. For the two sons to obey their father, they simply needed to go to the vineyard to work on it. What kinds of people do you think these two sons represent in today's parable? You might be tempted to think that the two sons represent a group of people who believe in God and another group of people who don't believe in God. But if you look deeper into it, that is not the case. Both sons called the farmer father. And both sons heard his command and they absolutely knew what their father's will was. It means the two sons represent the people who say they believe in God and listen to God's word regularly. So simply speaking, they are the people who come to church. So what's important was not whether the sons knew what they were supposed to do. The point of the parable is who did what he was told to do. It's not about knowledge, but about the act of doing which is obedience. So how did the two sons respond to the father's command? We find two totally opposite responses. On, the, on one hand, the first son said in verse 29, no. But afterward, he repented and went to work on the vineyard. On the other hand, the second son first said, yes, sir. And yet did not do what he said he would do. That's verse 30. The second son obeyed the father with words only. Interestingly, his language was very polite. If you read the Greek text, he says, I will do sir. Actually, the sir there is kurios, which means Lord. He didn't even say, yes, dad. He said, yes, master. Yes, my Lord. He was very polite in his language. Yet in the end, he didn't do anything about his confession. So who truly obeyed his father's command? Verse 31, the religious leaders answered correctly. Whether of them twain did the will of his father, Jesus asked, and they said unto him, the first, who disobeyed in words yet repented and finally obeyed his father's will. It is very important to note that the first son initially didn't do the father's will. This fact demonstrates that the father in heaven 
is the God of a second chance. And recently, Pastor Eric talked about it. To make it more precise, God is not just a God of a second chance. He is the God of innumerable chances. So it doesn't matter how disobedient you were even until tomorrow or even until this afternoon. If you decide to repent and obey God now, right now, God will not bring up your past anymore. What's important to God is not your past, but your present. And God's abundant mercy is available to those who repent of their disobedient heart and obey his will right now. And what was striking to the ears of the Jewish audience was that the Lord's interpretation that the first son represented who? The tax collectors and the prostitutes. Verse 31, the Lord said, Jesus said unto them, Verily, truly I say unto you that the publicans, the tax collectors, and the prostitutes will go into the kingdom of God before you. So who were the tax collectors and the prostitutes? They were the untouchable and scum of the Jewish society. Nobody wanted to be around them. Especially to the Jewish leaders of Judea, the, the Jewish religious leaders, they, they didn't even want to do anything. They Really, they weren't even willing to be in the same space with these sinners. It was even unthinkable for them to do anything with these based sinners. Yet, what is the destiny of the tax collectors and prostitutes who once disobeyed but repented of their disobedience, entering the kingdom of God. So there's another striking truth we can find in verse 31. The second son who obeyed his father with words only represented the religious leaders of Judaism. So verse 31b said that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you who are chief priests and elders of Judaism. Who were the chief priests and the elders here? The chief priests and elders were the leaders of the centers of Jewish worship. The chief priests were the ones who supervised the temple worship. And the elders were the leaders of local Jewish synagogues. You see, these are the people who controlled the worship to God. They were the ones who taught people God's word and seemed to be the people who should enter the kingdom of God first. But the Lord Jesus pronounces that they won't enter God's kingdom while the tax collectors and prostitutes whom they greatly despised would enter it before them. And the problem with the Jewish leaders wasn't necessarily that they taught wrong doctrines. Often, what they taught was right. So the Lord, Jesus says in a couple chapters later, in Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 23, verses 2 and 3, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore, who, whatsoever they bid you, they tell you, observe, do. That observe and do. But do not eat after their works, for they say and do not. And many people have false conception that the, these religious leaders were all wrong in their doctrines and practices. But at times, they were right. You know, they were dealing with the Bible. They were telling them what to do according to the law of Moses. So actually, many times, they were right in their teaching. But Jesus' 
problem with them wasn't that they were teaching wrong, but they were doing wrong. They really didn't do what they were teaching people to do. Their hypocrisy resembled their forefathers who worshipped God with words only. So Isaiah 29 verse 13 explains why God abandoned the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Isaiah 29, 13, Therefore the Lord said, For as much as the people, this people, draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me. They're, they're, they have a flattering lips to God, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of man. Which means they're, following human traditions when they say they fear God. So what about us? Let's face reality with honesty. Are we doing what God has taught us to do? What I'm asking is not whether we come to church like you do now or do a few religious activities throughout the week. The Jewish leaders did them all. We know that actually they did more than they were required to do. They never failed to participate in religious activities, yet the Lord considered them as deeply rebellious people. And why? Because they really didn't do it out of their heart. They didn't really obey the Lord. They only obeyed God, loved God with their words only. In 1985, a study showed that 67% of Americans said pastors had high or very high honesty or ethical standards. About 70% of people in 1985, actually in the year I was born, 70% of people thought pastors are moral people. Yet in 2019, only 37% of Americans said pastors are moral people. I know, you know statistics don't show us the re real reality, but we cannot, even, uh, we cannot ignore them either. And so many people think that Christian leaders are not ethical anymore. And I'm sure we also have our own faults in this phenomenon. And also uh, another study, uh, studies conducted among American Christians, these are lay people, have found that participants donated more money to charity and even watched less porn on Sundays. However, they compensated on both accounts during the rest of the week. As a result, many studies show that there is no real moral difference between Christians and non-Christians. This is the reality. Now, there's no real difference between the people who come to church and the people who don't come to church. This past week, some of you have heard the very sad news about Southern Baptist Convention. And there are a lot of sexual sins within churches. And then there, there are many pastors who are, some of them who are, who are even very renowned, they try to cover them up. Why? Because they wanted to protect the reputation of Southern Baptist Convention than to help the victims, to help the, the women and men who were assaulted by other people within the churches. And yesterday morning, you know, we had a men's prayer, prayer breakfast, and I said, actually, I don't believe it is the problem with Southern Baptist Convention only. You know, a lot of independent Baptist churches have done it too. We, we just, we're not just talking about it, but so many pastors, so many Christians have failed 
horribly in what? In doing what the Lord has taught us to do. So what should we do then to resolve this problem? Of course, we cannot change other people or other churches. But we can change ourselves and our church, College Park Baptist Church. We must do what the Lord has taught us to do. Only by living that way, we will be able to prove that we are not like the Jewish religious leaders who obeyed God with words only. So according to the Lord's teaching tonight, which one will enter God's kingdom? The obedient or the disobedient? Of course, the obedient. Does that mean that we receive salvation by works of obedience? Of course not. We all memorize this, this passage in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then why did the Lord say that the tax collectors and prostitutes would enter God's kingdom because of their obedience while their religious leaders won't, be, won't enter the kingdom because of their disobedience. We can find the key to, to this question in verse 32. Matthew 21, verse 32. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you, the religious leaders of Judaism, you believed him not. You see the, the fundamental problem? They didn't believe but the publicans and the harlots believed him and you, and when you had seen it, repented not afterward that you might believe him. So here is the second point for tonight. Obedience is a fruit of genuine faith. Obedience is a fruit of genuine faith. What does the Lord emphasize in verse 32? He emphasizes faith. First, in the parable, he emphasizes obedience, right? And then he moves on to the nature of faith and how faith is related to obedience. The reason the chief priests and elders couldn't obey God was that they didn't have genuine faith. So many people are confused about the relationship between faith and obedience. Uh, on the one hand, some people overemphasize faith at the expense of obedience. So they say faith has nothing to do with obedience. And some of them even say you don't even have to repent because repentance involves obedience or works. So you should not even repent to be saved. You just simply believe and confess and it will do it. And that's an extreme position that is very dangerous to be in. On the other hand, others mistakenly overemphasize obedience by teaching that salvation is not free gift, but requires a multitude of works and penances. And we know some of those people in our society. However, the Lord's teaching in today's text effectively refutes both extremes. The Lord Jesus teaches us the proper relationship between faith and obedience. What he first emphasized with the parable was obedience. Then why is obedience so important? It is because the Lord says, faith without obedience is dead faith. Why does Jesus think that the tax collectors and the prostitutes obeyed and the Jewish religious leaders didn't obey? What made the difference was whether they believed 
or not believed. Those who truly believe demonstrate their faith by obedience. But those who say they believe but do not believe in hearts cannot and will not live a life of obedience. Simply put, where there is faith is obedience, and where there is no faith is no obedience. There is always disobedience. The entire New Testament affirms this relationship. Some Christians argue that because Jesus and James emphasizes, emphasize obedience over faith, their teaching on faith and obedience is not um, co compatible with Paul's teaching on faith and obedience. You know, we all, we all have these concepts, right? Now, James is about works and Paul is about faith. But I absolutely disagree with these people who say James and Jesus overemphasized obedience and Paul overemphasized faith. Paul emphasized obedience as much as Jesus and James did. Let's look at it. Let's go to Romans 1. Romans 1, the very first chapter at the very first part, Paul reveals the reason why he was appointed to be the apostle of Gentiles and then he traveled all throughout the, the world to spread the gospel. Romans 1.5, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for the obedience of faith or obedience that comes from faith. You know, King James has a little different translation. But in Greek, you can read it as for the obedience of faith among all nations for his name's sake. So here, for the obedience of faith reveals the fact that Paul preached the gospel for this purpose. He wanted to share the gospel with Gentiles so that they would believe and they would obey. How do you know? Because the, the phrase obedience of faith is uh, genitive of source, which means obedience is coming from faith. You can translate it this way. The phrase for the obedience faith can be translated like this. Obedience that comes from faith. Just in case we miss that, miss this truth, he actually ends the letter with the same phrase. So let's go to chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, verse 26. At the end of the book, he says, end of the letter, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for what? For the obedience of faith. Interestingly, the King James translators did it right here. And they somehow translated the first, you know, first time differently. But if this is a Greek text for the obedience of faith. What does it mean? Paul preached the gospel. Why? Because he wanted to see the fruit of their faith. What is the fruit? Obedience. The obedience that comes from faith. And if you read through the book of uh, the letter to the Romans with the in, you know focusing on uh, the words faith and obedience, you will find that he uses these two terms interchangeably. So let's go to go back to chapter one again. Chapter one, verse eight. Paul talks about the faith of the Roman Christians. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Here, Paul is talking about their faith being spoken, being known among believers in the whole world. And then, again, let's go back to chapter 16 and verse 19. Romans chapter 16, verse 19, Paul says, For your 
obedience is come abroad unto all men. Do you see the connection there? In chapter 1 said, your faith is being known among all believers. And on the other hand, he said at the end of chapter 16, at the end, at the end of the letter, your obedience is being known among all nations. So for Paul, when he said you have to believe Jesus, he also meant you will obey him because you believe him. And now let's go to Romans 10. In one verse, Romans 10 verse 16, Paul uses the two terms, obey and believe interchangeably. Romans 10 16, but they, here they are Jews. The Jews have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? You see here? He uses the two terms in one verse, meaning referring to the same thing. They didn't obey. Why? Because they didn't believe. And that is what Paul is trying to emphasize. Of course, Paul talked about faith a whole lot more than other apostles. It doesn't mean that he ignored the obedience aspect. Why he suffered? He suffered to spread a gospel among Gentiles so that some of them will believe Jesus and obey him with their whole lives. That was the purpose of his ministry. And now let's go to James. What does James say about faith and works? James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Verse 14, what does it profit, my brothers? Though a man say he has faith and have not works, can that faith actually you need to, if you read, look up the Greek text, it says, can that faith, that fake faith, save him? Of course, the answer is no. Verse 17, even so faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. You see the tendency here? There are many people who, it's actually, it's a human tendency. We want to separate between, we, we want to separate faith from obedience or faith, uh, obedience from faith. There are so many people in James's day who, who had the both ext either extreme position. Verse 20, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. You see, Paul, James, and Jesus, they taught the same relationship between faith and works. Both Paul and James agree with Jesus in their understanding of the relationship between faith and works, and faith or faith and obedience. All three taught that obedience is a fruit of genuine faith, and faith without obedience is fake faith. So what is the hardest natural stone we have? Diamonds, right? At the same time, a diamond is, while being hard, the hardest, it also reflects light uniquely and beautifully. No wonder why it is the, one of the most expensive natural stones. So there are many fake diamonds out there. And actually, there are many ways to distinguish between real diamonds from fake diamonds. But there's one method that is quite interesting. You can actually burn a diamond with a lighter about 30 seconds. And then at, right after that, you drop it 
into a cold water. If it's a real diamond, it will stand the expansion, sudden expansion and contraction because it is the hardest one. Yet, if you do that to a fake diamond, it will either crack or crumble because it cannot stand the sudden contraction and also expansion and contraction. You see. But my question is this. Does a diamond become a diamond after standing this test? No. It stands the test because it was already a diamond. Do you see where I'm getting at? Many people think that you have to obey. I emphasize that and they say, well, then after you obey, your faith becomes real faith. No. After you obey, after you show the fruit of your faith, it only proves that in the beginning, from the beginning, you had real faith. Does it make sense? But if you say you have faith and there's no fruit of obedience, then what can, what should we conclude about your faith? That is a fake faith. It doesn't matter how much you say, how many times you say, I believe Jesus. I love Jesus. I fear God. It doesn't matter. If you don't obey, your faith is fake. Your confession of faith becomes meaningless. And this, uh, the, the, the obedience is only possible because our faith is already genuine. So I hope you can find that connection, the, that, that, the, that connection there between faith and obedience. By the way, what or who didn't the chief priests and elders believe according to the Lord in verse 32? They didn't believe someone. For John came, John the Baptist, in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and you, and when you had seen it, repented not afterward that you might believe John the Baptist. So John the Baptist came to show the way of righteousness to these people. So what was this way of righteousness specifically about? He preached something, a message. Do you remember what he preached when he first came up? Repent for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He preached repentance and he also baptized people with the baptism of repentance. But there was a purpose of that repentance he wanted to prepare a way for the coming Messiah. That was his main job. He wanted prepared people to be ready to embrace the coming Messiah by repenting of their sins. So he preached to people to believe and embrace the Messiah who comes after me, right? Basically, he preached repentance and Jesus. But the fact the Jewish leaders didn't believe John means they didn't repent and they didn't believe Jesus. That was the main issue here. And on the other hand, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they responded to the message of John with faith. And they repented and they were baptized by him. And then when Christ comes, in John 1, uh, uh, the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, John the Baptist, pointing at Jesus, said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
When John was proclaiming the name of Jesus, that what he's going to do for them, these tax collectors and prostitutes were running to him. And they were believing him, and also they were obeying him. And that was the difference between the religious leaders and these so-called sinners in their society. The faith in Jesus made it possible for the sinners to bear genuine fruit of repentance. And it was taking place in the eyes, the, the very eyes of these Jewish religious leaders. Now, there were so many sinners who were hiding, right, before Jesus came. But once Jesus came, these sinners are no longer hiding. You remember the sinful woman who comes to Jesus and washes his feet with his hair, with her hair, with her tears, and pours the perfume on his feet? She used to be hiding from these religious leaders. But now she's coming out to show her devotion to her Savior. What about Matthew? Matthew wrote this text. Who was he? He was a tax collector. But now he is uh, publicly saying, I am a follower of Jesus. I no longer take money from other people. But my God is no longer money. But Jesus is my king. And these, these priests and elders all saw them. They all saw these things taking place. What about Zacchaeus? He was the chief of tax collectors. But what did he do when he first met, when he met, finally met Jesus? Lord, I'm gonna sell half of my money, my assets, and give them to the poor. And if I have taken any money from anyone, I'm gonna repay them four times. It means actually he became poor overnight. Yet he did it. Why? Because he had faith in Jesus. They saw that all, these religious leaders, yet it made nothing. It made no change in their hearts. They didn't repent and believe Jesus even after witnessing the genuine transformation that took place in the lives of sinners. And so they had to face a greater condemnation. So they wouldn't be able to enter God's kingdom. Let's come back to the illustration I gave you at the beginning of this message. Why would you tell your daughter not to marry the man who said he loved your daughter? Why? His love is with words only. There's no substance in his mouth profession. And actions speak louder than what? Words. Actions speak louder than words. No matter how sweet his words are to the ears of your daughter, it is very clear that he doesn't love her at all. In the same way, we have to examine our faith. Faith is not just a mere confession that we believe Jesus is our Savior and Lord. Genuine faith in us must and will be demonstrated by the obedient life we live as the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the thesis again. True faith always brings the act of obedience. So let's examine our hearts. Let's examine our lives. Whether we are proving our genuine faith by doing what the Lord has taught us 
to do. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for your love and thank you so much for your grace. The reason we can even discuss this, this important matter is because you revealed yourself to us. Lord, it is so amazing. It is so precious. But Lord, we have to also confess that we have failed in many ways. But Lord, we pray that you would please strengthen our faith in you. If we fail in anything, it is because of our unbelief. So please strengthen our faith in your person, in your power. And then, Lord, help us to demonstrate it by doing what you tell us to do. And also bless the rest of the uh, rest of the hours and help us to pray according to your will in your powerful spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.